Hi, I'm David Mish. I'm the author of Funny the Book, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Comedy, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. It is that time. Once again, it's time for another episode of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zimrak. This is episode 219 of the show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming movies, remakes, and sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week, you are going to hear from a funny guy, and he has a book out. His name is David Mish, and you know him because he wrote Mork and Mindy, Duckman, Police Squad, I love that show, that was a riot, and uh, he's done all sorts of other things, like Muppets Take Manhattan, and he's got a book out called Funny, The Book, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Comedy, and this is a fascinating book, so get ready to hear all about it, and it's coming up pretty soon, right here on On Screen and Beyond, but first... It is our time once again to take a peek at what's coming your way in the next month as far as movie DVD releases and things like that. Why don't we get right into it? It's next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Remake Madness coming your way in July as far as new movie releases. Well, not too many remakes, but uh, that's unusual for this time of year. But uh, the sequels make up for it. So anyways, Remake Madness, July 3rd, The Amazing Spider-Man is, of course, being remade. Once again, this time, Tobey Maguire is not there. But we'll find out what happens with the web-slinger as he makes his way into the screen, like I said, on July 3rd. That's it for Remake Madness as far as July releases. Next, coming up on On Screen and Beyond, upcoming new movies in the theaters in July. New theatrical releases coming your way in July. Well, it looks like Oliver Stone will bring us Savages on July 6th with a cast that includes John Travolta, Selma Hayek, and Uma Thurman. July 13th, look for Robert De Niro as he stars in Red Lights, and it's a story about the paranormal. And Killer Joe comes your way on July 27th with Matthew McConaughey. And then look for Ben Stiller, Vince Vaughn, and Jonah Hill to come your way on July 27th in The Watch as they form a neighborhood watch and discover a plot to destroy the Earth. That's it for upcoming new movies in July. And next on On Screen and Beyond, we take you down to Sequel City to find out what's coming away as far as sequels being released in July in theaters. It's next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Sequel City, well, sequels coming your way in July in theaters. On July 13th, Ice Age Continental Drift slides into theaters. On July 20th, you can catch Batman as he returns in The Dark Knight Rises. Now, this one really looks dark and dreary, but uh, we'll find out what happens with that. And on July 27th, Step Up Revolution continues the saga of dancing in Miami. That is it for sequels coming your way in July. Next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as TV on DVD in July? We got it right here on On Screen and Beyond.
This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. TV on DVD coming your way in July. Well, on July 3rd, Dynasty Season 6, Man vs. Wild Season 6, Manix Season 7, The Streets of San Francisco Season 3, Volume 1, and Season 3, Volume 2. On July 10th, The Big Bang Theory Season 1, Dark Shadows, the complete series, and Warehouse 13 Season 3. July 17th, Bonanza. Season 3, Volume 1, and Season 3, Volume 2. Designing Women, the final season. Different Strokes, Season 3. Sanctuary, Season 4. And Leverage, Season 4. On July 24th, Boss, Season 1. Children's Hospital, Season 3. Real McCoy, Season 1. Touched by an Angel, Season 5. On July 31st, the Carol Burnett Show finally makes its way onto DVD. It's the Ultimate Collection. And Melrose Place Season 7, Volume 1, and Season 7, Volume 2 will be coming your way. That's it for TV on DVD coming up next on On Screen Beyond. We're going to take a peek at what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD in July, and it's next. <laughs> movies on DVD coming your way in July. Well, on July 3rd, you can catch... God Bless America from Bob Goldwaite and The Hunter from William Defoe. And on July 10th, American Reunion with Jason Biggs and The Flowers of War with Christian Bale. And also you can catch Mysteria. On July 17th, Casa de Mi Padre with uh, Will Ferrell. Also, you can catch Deserter and Friends with Kids and Lockout, Salmon Fishing in the Yemen and The Three Stooges along with MLK the assassination tapes on july 24th you can catch silent house lol with miley cyrus and the love guide on july 19th with digital download and video on demand and on july 31st look for total recall mind-bending edition with arnold schwarzenegger that's it for movies coming your way on dvd in july Next on On Screen and Beyond, our interview segment, we have a funny guy coming your way, David Mish. He's been a writer for Mork and Mindy, and he's also just so many other things. Uh, the Muppets Take Manhattan. I mean, he's worked with, look at the stars he's worked with here. You know, Kermit the Frog. <laughs> he also worked with Jason Alexander on Duckman and a show that I particularly love, Police Squad. That used to, that used to crack me up. But uh, anyways, uh, David's got a new book out, and it's called Funny the Book, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Comedy. He's going to talk about that, and it's right here on On Screen and Beyond.
Joining me today on On Screen and Beyond is a two-time Emmy-nominated writer and producer who has been involved with Mork and Mindy, Police Squad, Duckman, She Spies, and The Muppets Take Manhattan, just to name a few. He currently has a book out called, now get this, Funny, The Book, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Comedy. It's David Mish. David, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thank you very much. But just one thing, I want to tell you that uh, you say Emmy-nominated. Emmy I prefer to say Emmy-losing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get straight to it. <laughs> well, we like to leave those things out, you know. <laughs> it still must have been a thrill to be nominated for an Emmy. It was. Uh, there, uh, well, actually, in a sense, I won, but I didn't. Robin Williams won for Best New Performer, but I was on the staff of Mork and Mindy right. that year. So we, we all felt like we got an Emmy. And then the one time I was nominated was for a show called Duckman, which uh, was an adult, very adult animated. Mm -hmm. Never let your children ever see this. Uh, a series uh, with Jason Alexander as the voice. And, I have the DVD. Um, you, you have it? Yes, I do. I wondered who bought that. Thank you. I get three and a half cents for that. So uh, that was nominated, and uh, it was up against uh, a few other shows, and we were all sitting in the audience, and uh, the uh, whoever the celebrity was, I no longer remember. I blacked out the whole thing. Uh, said uh, and the winner is, the, and we all went, we won. But it was Doctor Katz. Doctor Katz won. But oh. it started with a D, so we were already, you know, <laughs> renegotiating our our salaries. And I got one other story about the Emmy thing. So one thing I discovered, and I don't know if this is still the case, but at the time they had a number of sound awards for best recording, best mixing, best editing. And each of the sound awards nominees, there were like 5, 10, 15 people who were on the crew that did the editing or the mixing or whatever. So there were like six of these categories, and there were like 10 or 15 people in each one that won. So the funny thing was, after this humiliating loss, I went to the bathroom, and a bunch of the sound people were in there. And what it turned out to be was that everyone in the bathroom had an Emmy. They were poking each other with their Emmys, trying to get to the urinals. They were pushing their Emmys onto, onto the basins, you know, so they could wash their hands. So everywhere I looked, there were nothing but Emmys. It was just, it's just the perfect end of that day. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I've heard stories about Emmys because they're sharp, uh, yeah, they evidently. Are. And I know I interviewed writer for Rain Man. And, oh, yeah. And he also did... Um, Oh, what was his name? Mickey Rooney starred in it. Uh, Bill, uh, which, oh, yeah, he, yeah. which he won an Emmy for. And when he got the Emmy, they were taking a picture or something, and he fell off the, the stand that they were standing on, and he stabbed himself in the leg. Oh, another Emmy-inflicted dress. <laughs> right. You know, um, I was uh, writing and directing a, uh, a syndicated TV show uh, that had a murder in it, and I decided I wanted to murder someone with an award. So uh, I wanted to figure out what the best award was, what, what the most deadly award was. And I got through to, and I've forgotten his name now, he's so famous, but he is one of the few people who's won an Emmy, a Tony, and an Oscar. And I asked him, and he said without question the Emmy was the deadliest. So mm. that I used, I, but I couldn't get the rights to it, so I used an Emmy knockoff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, let's talk about your book, Funny the Book. What prompted you to write this book? Lack of respect. <laughs> Everyone loves comedy, but they don't really... I mean, if you put up, you know, Death of a Salesman against Some Like It Hot, who's going to win? Mm -hmm. And I think that's just not right. I think the achievements of comedy are just as great. I think the challenges in comedy are just as great. And more important, I think 
what comedy is and what it means is just as important to life as drama is. And I think comedy is not inescapable, but it's undo withoutable. I mean, what, you can live without laughter, but would you want to? Right. And yeah. in fact, in the book, I talk about um, how in the uh, 1970s in Uruguay, um, political prisoners, one of the forms of torture they used, and this is absolutely true, was they would take political prisoners to see a movie and they would be tortured if they laughed. So they had to avoid laughing in order to avoid being tortured. And it's, you think about it, if there's something funny, how do you not laugh? That's a right. form of torture in itself. So anyway, I thought it would be nice if someone took comedy apart in a way that didn't kill it. Uh, I tried to make the book funny in itself, and I tried to take a lighthearted but fairly um, wide-ranging look at where comedy comes from, what it is, and what it means, along with dealing with some of the famous comedies and comedians. Mm -hmm. Is it almost like a history of, of comedy through the years? Or? It includes a history, and it goes back to a mythological figure named Trickster, who is essentially the humanity's first comedian, and then it uh, goes up till yesterday, hmm. <laughs> or actually the day before I you know, submitted the book for right. publication. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it, it definitely has a uh, history element in it, but it also deals with uh, the rules of comedy, uh, like the rule of three, why are things funnier in, in threes, and the answer has to do with pattern recognition. And it also gets into a uh, neurological, biological element, uh, the chemical dopamine, which I like to say is the funniest chemical in our bodies, uh, is uh, essential to why uh, uh, the humor response is what it is. Mm -hmm. So there's, it's, as I say, it's sort of embarrassingly wide-ranging uh, in that it, it covers, uh, you know, the Marx Brothers, Buster Keaton, Steve Martin, uh, as well as uh, the, you know, the health benefits of comedy and, uh, and also the, the health risks of comedy, the people who have died laughing, of whom there have been a few. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, they do say that laughter is good for your health, too. Um, I'm trying to remember the quote. It's something like, uh, my, I think the most important quote in the book is from God, who said, laughter doeth the heart good like a medicine, <laughs> in the Bible, uh -huh. if you can believe that. Huh. <laughs> now, the cover of the book, you've got the traditional Groucho glasses with the nose and the, the mustache and the eyebrows. Yeah. The, 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 uh -huh. Did you decide what you wanted for the, the cover of the book? I, I had a design which was going to be the masks of comedy and tragedy with them both being comedy. But maybe that was a little too high tone and Groucho glasses sure tells the tale. I was just at Book Expo America, a big convention in New York City where people hawk their wares. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, I had been told beforehand that there was lots of free giveaways. That, you know, you just go from booth to booth and get all this great stuff. But it really wasn't. It was like either it was manuscripts or it was tote bags. And finally I ended up getting a tote bag to carry the various tote bags that I had gotten. But to, what I did is I gave away Groucho glasses. They, were, they cost me, I believe, about 35 cents apiece. They were the hit of the convention. Oh, I'm sure. People were scrambling and killing each other to get their free Groucho glasses. <laughs> so that either says something about the iconic power of the Groucho uh, image or it says something about the cheapness of book publishers in the 21st century. <laughs> now, do you find when you go to a book signing convention that most of the books are by people that are, how can I put this, um, 
Losers? <laughs> no, 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 no. But, but a little stuffy, I would say. You oh, know, as well, a, it depends as a, on the convention. Look, there was a section there for erotic literature. You know, <laughs> like Fifty Shades of Grey kind of stuff. That was not so boring. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But but a lot of books, you know, they're they're um, you know biographies and things like that. So they're not as you know they're not filled with laughter, obviously. No, I mean I'm hoping that's what the, distinguishes mine a little bit because as far as I know, there's never been a funny book written about comedy, and uh, I'm you know hoping that uh, uh, even even though there's a lot of information in the book. It, hopefully you're laughing enough so that you don't realize you're getting smarter. I would not want anyone to think that they would get smarter reading my book. However, I want to do it without their realizing. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, of all the actors that have been out there, who do you feel is the funniest actor or, or comedian? Well, you know, it, it's always... Uh, first of all, the, my personal opinion doesn't really matter. And, in fact, there's a great quote by... Uh, I mean, I, I am an expert, I think, to some degree, on what comedy is, but I'm not even remotely an expert on what you'll find funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can only figure out, you know, our own uh, laughter quotient. Uh, so Shakespeare said, uh, A jest's prosperity lies at the ear of him that hears it, never in the tongue of him that makes it, meaning that we just, we decide what's funny. Right. Yeah. And so I can't say who the greatest comedian is, but I can say who... Most people in comedy think the greatest comedian is, and that's Groucho. Mm-hmm. The man had it all. I mean, he was, you know, an amazing verbal comic. But he was also a damn good physical comic, just in the way he moved. I and mean, he could dance, you know, he could, he could move his body in very funny ways when he wanted to, and then he could just stand stock still and reel off uh, one-liners till you couldn't take anymore. And, of course, his basic appearance was ludicrous and funny, uh, with that, you know, grease paint mustache that didn't even attempt to be realistic. It was almost just like a, a clown mask. Right, yeah. But it was, it was very often deadpan. Groucho never mugged, or very seldom did anyway. Do you enjoy the Marx Brothers themselves, that you're watching their films and things? Oh, my God, yes. Oh, that's what got me into it. It was, uh, I w- went to a double feature in the 1970s when there was a revival of the Marx Brothers. They had pretty much fallen into obscurity after Groucho's TV show, You Bet Your Life, had right, yeah. gone off the air. So no one really knew or cared about him for 10 or 12 years. If anyone did, they were like these washed-up old people. And then there was a revival in the 70s, which sort of played off the, uh, the rebellious 60s generation as they got a little older. And suddenly they discovered this anarchic, um, you know, to hell with society and its rules comedy team. And Duck Soup and Night at the Opera were playing a double feature in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where I was living at the time. And I went to this beautiful new theater and... Um, it was absolutely packed, and it was like the first time I saw a Hard Day's Night in a theater the, the, where the screams were so loud I couldn't hear the, the movie. And in this, the, the laughter was so loud, you missed half the dialogue. I had to go back the next day to hear it. <laughs> and that, man, when I heard that, I thought, that is what I want to do with my life. I want to make people make that loud barking noise. <laughs> so did you, at that point, start being a You were a stand-up for a while, correct? I was. I was not the world's most successful stand-up. I had my moments, but I, I really um, did not uh, thrive on audience interaction. I really just wanted to present some things that I felt were amusing and have people nod their heads and say, by golly, he's clever. I didn't want that sort of rolling, loud 
laughter that, that sort of envelops you with love. I didn't want to have a personal relationship with them, which is just death to a comedian. You, you've got to have a personal relationship with them. So I sort of gave that up and discovered that writing was much more satisfactory because I could have other people be my intermediaries. How did you become a writer, story editor? And, and I sometimes not, don't understand, like, it, it lists you as a story editor and an executive story editor and a special consultant and an executive consultant on your listings here. But what was your first job? Mork and Mindy as a, as a writer? Yeah, well, let me go backwards and just explain that those uh, consultant titles and everything, they're basically just salary things. They don't mean anything. Basically, there's a showrunner who runs a TV show, mm-hmm. and then everyone, and there's sometimes co-runners, co-showrunners, and then everyone else is beneath them, but the ones who have executive in their title get more money. Okay, yeah, well, I <laughs> figured more that. Responsibility. <laughs> but everyone sort of does the writing more or less together. Um, so my first job was Mork and Mindy. I was a stand-up, and I sent a seven-page sketch to a, a, a guy who I had heard about who managed uh, some important people. He managed, uh, he was part of the management firm that managed Woody Allen, David Letterman, Billy Crystal, Robin Williams, who was not known at that time, right. and uh, some other people. So it was a really important <laughs> firm. And this guy read my seven page sketch and said it was the funniest thing he'd ever read and that he was going to get me a job. And he did. Uh, he got me on Mork and Mindy, and I was a little nervous because. I consider myself, you know, a pretty hip guy, and I was, and this was a TV series about a, Mar- you know, some sort of alien. It was like my favorite Martian. I was like, that's lame. Who wants to do that? And my manager said, you know, actually, I managed the guy who um, who's doing it, Robin Williams, and I think you'll you'll realize he's pretty good. <laughs> so he turned out to be right. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> no. In fact, the first time Robin walked out on the stage. It was so really magical because you could see that the superstar had been born right in front of your eyes. I'm standing there. He walks onto the stage. The audience goes insane. There's literal electricity in the area. You're shivering from from the the, the fiber of the air because everyone knows something incredible has just happened and that no one else knows about it. It's only the 300 people in that room that know two weeks later he's going to be on TV and everyone's going to go nuts. So that was really a fantastic experience. Yeah. Now, when you were writing for that, uh, was it difficult to put your mind into, you know, Nanu Nanu? (laughs) (laughs) Into that mindset? And then there's there's Robin. You know, they're not exactly the same thing. But Robin had such a distinctive personality. It was not only uh, possible but incredible fun to, to, you know, try to replicate his voice. But that's what TV is. You try to replicate the voice of your actors and you know put your own stuff into their in the way they would do it and that's part of the challenge but robin was so brilliant you knew that you know you could do <laughs> you could do a lot of things and he could make them better now you know the the story was that robin improvised the whole show he did not we were working till four in the morning writing that right show. yeah but what he did do is he made everything better he didn't and a lot of his improvisations were dirty I mean, Robin loves being dirty. <laughs> Things we'll never see, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he offended no one. We, I literally, and it's not like an exaggeration or uh, symbolic or something, but I literally saw nuns in the audience who would just clutch their stomachs with laughter as he said the dirtiest conceivable thing. <laughs> he was just so magical, it just didn't matter. But um, it was just uh, catching that tiger by the tail was uh, just an amazing thing. And it, you, you knew that you could write stuff that maybe wasn't that great, and Robin would put it, you know, either add a word or two, or 
he would uh, use a funny voice or do something with his body that would just make it hilarious. Yeah, jeez. When you were a writer for that show, did you have like a character that you were responsible for writing for, or did, was it just a collaborative thing where you all sat together and threw out some ideas and you know somebody said, "Oh, that, that's great," and that type of thing? Well, you usually there. It was not so much a character thing, but what you would do is you would write your own script, and then the whole group would get together and tear it apart and put it back together again. And then at the end, you go over it line by line, trying to make each line better. Uh, I so see. it's a very uh, <laughs> again. This is one of the things, the themes of the book, which is that, and it's a cliche comedy is a serious business. But everyone who does it does take it seriously and knows that. The adjustment of uh, word placement, the word length. I mean, you don't want a three-syllable word there. You want a two-syllable word there. The sound of words. There's a chapter on the rules of comedy in the book. And, uh, for instance, uh, a K sound is much funnier than, like, an M sound. You want something that's hard because you want a hard end to that joke so everyone knows it's over and that you're given permission to laugh. And, uh, in fact... The uh, funny. Uh, this has been measured scientifically, although how I could not say. The funniest animal is a duck, and it's easy to figure out why. It's a one-syllable word ending with a K, and it sounds like a dirty word. <laughs> and that's why the insurance company uses that as their mascot. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Huh. And which also ends with a K. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Yeah. So now, you know... People don't really think about funny as being a scientific mm-hmm. thing, but you, you guys really have it down to a science. Well, yes. Uh, you know, ultimately there's mystery in everything, and uh, there's an element of... In fact, one of the themes of the book also is comedy and drama, in my mind, have absolutely no difference between them. You cannot say a principle of drama that doesn't also apply to comedy. Tension and resolution, surprise, they're all elements of every art form. Um, so why is a certain word at the end of that sentence funny rather than sad? It's, it's difficult to break that down, so there's an essential mystery. But you can break almost everything else down, and especially when you've been a comedy writer for a few years, you can write funny. I mean, you, as a professional, you can sit down when you're miserable, when your cats just die, whatever's happened, and you can still be funny. Mm. And there is an element of sort of, <laughs> for me, that depressed me a little to be cranking out the funny. I like to be inspired a little more. And uh, I, I sort of felt a little corrupted by how facile I became. And I wanted to get, uh, one reason I quit Mork and Mindy after two years was I wanted to sort of get back to being more inspired. But that reminds me of one of my favorite quotes, which I read was attributed to Igor Stravinsky, but have been unable to confirm that because I tried to confirm everything in the book, which is someone asked him how, uh, how much he worked every day. And he said, oh, eight, ten hours. And they said, my God, you're inspired for that much? And he said, no, but I want to be there when inspiration strikes. <laughs> and that's what being a professional means. I mean, yeah. you put in the time, and then you hope something happens. And something usually does, because you put in that time. 
When you did Police Squad, were you a writer for the show, or did you come up with a concept, or what, what oh, were you? Oh, no, I was just a writer, and most people don't know, but it's a, it's a good thing to discover on DVD or uh, however you view your things. Um, after the movie Airplane came out, which mm-hmm. was written and directed by three guys from Madison, Wisconsin, named David Zucker, Jerry Zucker, and Jim Abrams, mm-hmm. it was a huge hit and also one of the funniest movies ever. Oh, yeah. And they wanted to do another movie about cops doing the same thing of this deadpan humor, making fun of the genre that uh, they were uh, doing. And uh, the studios wouldn't buy it, so they said, screw it, we'll make it a TV series. And they did, and I was hired. And Leslie Nielsen, who had played a supporting role in Airplane, was the star of Police Squad. Mm-hmm. And just like Airplane, everyone, especially Leslie, who had been a, you know, a sort of dramatic or occasional romantic comedy leading man for his entire career, for the first time did essentially slapstick comedy, but entirely deadpan, never cracking a smile, never letting the audience know that there was a joke. And uh, that was Police Squad, and uh, it did pretty well, but it it didn't make it. And one reason uh, it wasn't renewed, we heard, was an ABC executive uh, said, the problem with that show is you have to watch it. A lot of people watch TV while they're doing other things. Right. And they glance up at the screen. If you do that, you think it's a straight cop show. Mm-hmm. You only, only by looking what they're doing while they're saying these things do you realize why it's funny. Yeah, I, I used to love that show. I, that, that was a riot. <laughs> and like yeah. you say, you had to watch it to catch everything, and, and then even then you'd miss some things. Yeah, and one of the things I loved is that um, while Mork and Minnie, the writers, were terrific, they were pretty conventional TV writers. And, you know, absolute top of their trade. But Zucker, Abram, Zucker were from a different generation, and they took comedy incredibly seriously. They, I mean, again, we would have, I had a huge fight with one of the other writers about a semicolon in a stage direction. Not my proudest moment. <laughs> <laughs> but at least we were both taking it seriously. Huh. Now, you mentioned Duckman, very popular show. How did you get involved with that? I mean, an actor will go out and have to audition, but how does a comedy writer get involved with the show? You send in a script, you have an agent, and the agent submitted some material, uh, scripts I'd written, and the producers really liked it. And they called me in for what I call the asshole interview, which is, we like your writing, if you're not an asshole, we'll hire you. So I was able to pass that by fading not being an asshole. And uh, I had a great time. Two of the guys who uh, ran the show, uh, Jeff Reno and Ron Osborne, are two of my very best friends. They also worked on Moonlighting and The West Wing, just absolute top-of-the-line writers. And again, we took things very seriously there, which isn't to say we didn't have lots of fun, too. Mm -hmm. It would be fun to be a fly on the wall when you got a bunch of writers writing shows like that or Police Squad or Mork and Mindy. Just to see what goes on must be a a riot, because you guys, I'm sure you go off the the deep end of sometimes. (laughs) Oh, very much so, but it would have to be a heavily edited show. Because (laughs) the, the, we, you know, there are times when it's, you know, you cannot breathe from laughing because there are so many funny people saying so many funny things. And then there are other times when you're sitting around waiting for that punchline for hours. And those are not the happy times. Have you ever had anything where you thought you had the funniest line in the world and everybody just sort of looked at you and said, what are you thinking? No, that's never happened to me. Everything I've done has been successful. <laughs> it's weird. I, I understand other people have that experience. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, yeah, we all run into that. And it's weird. But, you know, at that level, generally speaking, if you say something that doesn't work, it's like, good try. 
But one of the interesting things, and there's a new book out by a, a writer I really admire, Jonah Lehrer, uh, who wrote a book called um, How We Decide, which I ripped off in my <laughs> section on dopamine and how humor uh, uh, is born inside the neurons of the brain. Uh, but he's written a new book called Creativ- or, no, Imagine, which is about creativity. And he talks about how the way to be, be creative is just to throw things out there. You don't edit yourself. That's how Robin Williams operated. He never censored himself. He said whatever he thought. Mm-hmm. And that's what we would do in these sessions. You throw out ideas. Sometimes they're terrible, but everyone knows, everyone in that room knows. If you throw out ten ideas and nine of them are terrible and one is brilliant, it was worth it. And therefore, you are patient with people who say stupid things as long as they occasionally say a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know, David, we're running short here. And and do you have time for two more questions? Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll finish up with our final two questions. And it takes us away from your writing and producing and everything else in the book. But um, you personally, what are your favorite TV shows of all time that you like to just sit back and watch? You know, it's difficult to say all the time because you just think of, you know, it's like, which kid you like best? Clearly, it's the most recent one. Um, (laughs) So I tend to to favor the things I'm into at the moment. But, you know, there are classics, all, all, you know, Dick Van Dyke, most comedy writers, why they got into comedy writing. And Carl Reiner was kind enough to say nice things about Funny the Book. So um, I'm especially bonded with that show now. And um, uh, then uh, you know, things like Cheers, Taxi, Seinfeld. Right now, um, before Steve Carell left, and it's still a very good show, but it's not quite what it was, I don't think. The Office is, one, I think, one of the towering achievements in comedy because it's the first time that I'm aware of that the drama was almost as important as the comedy. Because they had no laugh track, because they weren't playing to an audience, they could actually act. If you look at those All in the Family shows, Carol O'Connor was a fine actor, but in there he would say a line and then freeze his face while the audience laughed for 20 seconds. Right. And he couldn't do much else. But in the office, they don't have to wait for laughs. And so Steve Carell put, did the most brilliant, subtle acting there where he played a jerk, and yet you felt for him. Mm-hmm. And he didn't beg for, he didn't say, I'm vulnerable, I'm vulnerable, but you felt it anyway. It was just great. And then the other show that blows my mind right now is Community. And this is not everyone's favorite, and it is not to everyone's taste. I'm just saying for me. Mm-hmm. But the reason I love it so much is it's blown the boundaries of sitcom wide open. It's done things with their individual episodes, and <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever thought of They have a, a zombie movie episode. Right, yes. They have a six different timelines episode, although we actually did something similar to that on Duckman. Ha, <laughs> ha. But anyway, the level of the writing and acting on that, I think, is, is pretty wonderful. Yeah. You mentioned those two shows you mentioned that we've had guests from those shows. Uh, one of them was uh, Anthony Russo, who's the uh, executive producer or, or writer for Community. Oh, really? Wow, that's great. And also uh, Rosemarie from the Dick Van Dyke Show. Ah, that's, that's great, too. Yeah, yeah. Now, the other question is movies. What's your favorite movies? Well, the simple answer is the movie everyone pretty much agrees. It's the Citizen Kane of comedies, which is Some Like It Hot. And it's pretty much a flawless movie. I mean, the brilliant screenplay, every word, brilliant direction, brilliant acting. Um, more recently, I'm a huge fan of Bridesmaids. Um, it, 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 in certain ways, that's sort of conventional because it was a huge hit movie. But, um, I, again, I feel that's the kind of thing that doesn't get enough credit 
people think, you know, yeah, they got together a bunch of wacky women and they threw up on each other. <laughs> but it was a little more than that. And from what I've read of the development, it took two years for Kristen Wiig and her writing partner to put that together, working with Judd Apatow. And I think it's a wonderfully constructed script. And again, a lead character, unusual, I think. I mean, a woman who's not conventionally beautiful um, and who, you know, does make a fool of herself, but in, in ways that are not like Lucy falling, you know, into a pot or something, right, but yeah. much subtler emotional things. And um, speaking of that, i got to say I'm a big fan of Lena Dunham's uh, new HBO series, Girls, which I think has redefined what female comedy is for the 21st century. Hmm. Yeah. Now, every one of those movies and TV shows that you, you mentioned – or comedies. You said nothing about sci-fi. Oh, or... <laughs> I didn't know you were asking for other movies. Oh no, I mean, yeah, I meant anything. Oh, but was, any I, but... oh yeah. Well, Citizen Kane. I, Citizen Kane is the movie, you know. Oh, okay. So, I thought you just, you know, you, your preference was comedy. <laughs> oh no. Well, it, it pro- well, I wouldn't say preference, but it's certainly a big favorite. But oh no, I see lots of others. Look, I love Mean Streets. I think uh, I still think Mean Streets is Scorsese's best movie, and uh, and Citizen Kane, of course, and uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. I got lots. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I mean, well, with with a movie, with a book called Funny the Book, uh, I assume that well, he, you like comedies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. <laughs> but so, you know, my standards are a little tougher, I think, for comedy because I've been exposed to a lot. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Is is it difficult for you to sit and watch a comedy, and and do you tend to pick it apart or anything? Or hey, you know, to me, there's a real simple answer to that, which is if I'm taking it apart, it's not good. Uh, if I sure. have time to think about why that joke works or doesn't work, it isn't sucking me in. Mm-hmm. Something like Bridesmaids, I really wasn't thinking about the construction of that script until afterwards. I definitely thought right. about it then. Yeah. But during the movie, I was just totally into it. Yeah. Now, as far as funny the book, what would you say is your favorite part of the book? Is there something that's uh, you know in the book that you this is something you really want to let people know about? Well, um, there's a chapter on Buster Keaton, who's my idol. And uh, it's, uh, you know, everyone thinks about Chaplin, and Keaton gets a little less attention. And I think Keaton is uh, subtler and more modern, and again, in his own way, quite groundbreaking, because he's, as far as I know, the first comedian who acted without acting. He was known as the great stone face, so he gave you nothing. You had to come to him. You had to figure out what he was feeling by the context, not by his, you know, looking sad or looking uh, foolish. And that I just love. I just love the boldness in that choice. Mm-hmm. And also, I guess I like my chapter on, uh, on science because I'm so not a science guy, and I had to sort of learn some stuff to do it. So I'm proud of myself for figuring out polysyllabic words like dopamine and uh, neurotransmitter. Uh, but, you know, I got a hell of a lot of, from, a lot of it from Jonah Lehrer and some other sources. But it's fascinating mm-hmm. what, the, uh, uh, what the process of comedy is in the brain and i think in figuring that out you understand a lot more about uh, why humor plays such a role in people's lives and then the one other thing i'd mention is that the last chapter is actually essentially about the theology of humor the relationship of humor to religion not not religion but the spirituality to the most important elements of our lives and i think there is a connection uh, i'll leave you to find out by reading it <laughs> yeah. well david i want to congratulate you on the book and uh, i want to make sure everybody goes out and gets funny the book everything you always wanted to know about comedy and i appreciate you taking the time to talk to us my pleasure thank you
David Mish, I want to thank him so much for taking the time to talk to us. He's a funny guy, a lot of fun talking with him, and he's got a lot of great stories there. But get his book. You'll get a lot of great other stories that he didn't talk about. And also, I didn't realize that there was so much serious science behind being funny. You know, you just take it for granted. But uh, David's got all the inside scoop on that in his book, Funny the Book. Everything you always wanted to know about comedy. So be sure to check that out. we got a link right on our site at onscreenandbeyond.com. Click right there. It'll take you to it, and you can get it. A lot of fun to read. Well, let's see here. If you are on Facebook, be sure to like us. And uh, if you want to check out onscreenandbeyond.com, we got movie reviews. we got book reviews. we got, uh, of course, all our interviews back to 2007 with Great, great guests. Uh, we have legends in there, Oscar winners, uh, Oscar nominees, Golden Globe winners, uh, nominees, and uh, Emmy Emmy winners and nominees, and everything else, Grammy winners. They're all there at onscreenandbeyond.com. Go to our, uh, well, right on the front page of On Screen and Beyond. You can catch some there, but you can also go to our OSB rerun section, and you can see every season that we've been on. And you can click right there, and you'll scroll down, and you can see everybody who was on the show that uh, that year. And uh, we appreciate you if uh, you do that and have a lot of fun. I'm sure you're going to find somebody there that you like. And tell a friend. And if you're on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review so more people will hear about us. And I uh, love hearing from you. I get a lot of emails every week, and uh, it's just so much fun to read what people have to say, suggestions they have. You can email me at feedback at onscreenorbeyond.com. And uh, like I said, I love hearing from you. And uh, I guess that's about it. What do you say? We wrap it up for this week. This is a wrap. And next week, I hope you'll join us when we once again take you on screen and beyond. I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care.